The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Email us at 617-484-2443 or email us at Belmont Media. Actually, email us at access at belmontmedia.org. And hello, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of the TOST Toddcast here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network. I am Todd Bloniars, longtime producer and host of the Time Out for Sports Talk television program that you can find on BMC channels 8, 9, 28, and 29 and on demand at belmontmedia.org. It, also a reminder that you can access uh, any of our uh, TOST Toddcasts online at belmontmedia.org slash podcast and also at soundcloud.com by searching Belmont Media. You can also listen to any of our shows at your convenience on your favorite electronic device simply by downloading the SoundCloud app, which is available free of charge on iTunes and Google Play stores. If you're using the SoundCloud app, just search Belmont Media. you find the playlists and you'll see all the various shows that are being podcast here in Studio B, and it has certainly been a long time since we've been on the Studio B, Mike. Uh, it is nice to be back here after a, a bit of an extended break away from the Toddcasts. Uh, we're very happy to be uh, back and uh, doing these again And during the summer schedule. Uh, we'll take a little TV break, a break from the television show, but uh, we'll crank up a bunch of these. Uh, hopefully we uh, look forward to a, a full summer of uh, Various Toddcasts with a lot of interesting guests along the way. And we uh, will be kicking off uh, summer 2017 with a good friend of ours who has appeared both on one of these Toddcasts as well as on our uh, television show. That would be uh, Christopher Smith. He is the Red Sox beat writer for MassLive.com. You can follow him. Uh, his Twitter handle is at Smitty on MLB. That's S-M-I-T-T-Y on MLB. And, uh, of course, uh, we've got our own uh, Twitter handle here. It's at T-O-S-T-B-M-C. Uh, where we will post uh, the links to the uh, Toddcasts when they are ready for uploading and uh, downloading on your SoundCloud app. Uh, Christopher, how are you doing tonight? Good. How are you? I'm, I'm very happy and, uh, and uh, glad to be the first of, the, of, this, uh, of this run. Yeah, I believe you were actually one of our first uh, last uh, summer as well when we started kicking off these uh, these podcasts. So it's uh, good to have you back with us uh, once again. You're coming to us uh, uh, today, of course, is uh, we're recording this show on June the 5th. It is an off day for the Boston Red Sox, and uh, you are, uh, as the Red Sox are in the middle of their road trip, you're kind of in the middle of your own road trip uh, in Baltimore, as uh, you were telling me before we came on the air, and uh, you're headed up to the Big Apple tomorrow where the Red Sox will kick off a big three-game series with the Yankees. Yeah, actually, this is a pretty cheap trip because... The flight down here, I booked it really early, so I'm saving the, the company a lot of money. I, I booked the flight for $48 down here on Southwest. Uh, and the, and the, uh, the, the Amtrak to New York is $50, and the Amtrak home to Boston is 50 So round trip, we're, you know, it's only $150, which is not a bad, uh, it's not a bad deal. Wow, not at all. Of course, uh, you, get, you get reimbursed for all your travel uh, miles and everything uh, anyway. So, right? Is that uh, so? You're, you're just you're just helping because they don't have to reimburse you quite as much, I guess. Is that I'm how it works? Trying to be a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you're certainly a good guy for uh, for joining us here on uh, on the Toddcast, and of course, uh, you, you've been covering the Red Sox now for a few seasons, and uh, certainly this has uh, been an interesting uh, start to the year. We're about a third of the way into the season. Red Sox currently 31 and 25, two games behind the New York Yankees, uh, three games behind in the all important loss column. Although I don't know how important it is on June 5th, as opposed to maybe uh, once we get into September, but uh, nonetheless. Uh, and as we mentioned, the uh, the big showdown coming up this week. Let me ask you really quick before we talk about uh, the road trip uh, that has uh, up to date for the team, Chris. Um, do you think the Red Sox Yankees rivalry is back? Uh, the fact that both teams are competitive, both teams have good young a good young nucleus of players. Uh, do you think we're going to see the uh, Red Sox-Yankees rivalry get rekindled in the Big Apple this week? Yeah, I hope so, because it really hasn't been very lively in a, in a few years now. Uh, I remember growing up, it was awesome. You know, the, you know, Veritek, uh, you know, going at it with A-Rod, and, you know, there was so much fun. I mean, every time you watched it, there was something to watch, and it has not been the same, and the Yankees obviously haven't made the postseason in a few years, and that, that doesn't help. When they're not good, or the Red Sox aren't good, I mean, the Red Sox have had a couple last place finishes in recent years, so now that there's two good teams, two teams battling for first place, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we We've seen it. Um, you know, there was a great rivalry there for a couple, for a few years with the Tampa Bay Rays when they were uh, when they were on top of the AL East uh, with the Red Sox. Uh, the, the Baltimore Orioles rivalry has gotten really good because the Orioles have gotten good, and and um, you know they're obviously a pesky team, and and there's some there's some bad blood, and Buck Walter will always you know say something that, that gets everybody riled up, um, but you know. That's because those teams are good that those things have started. So, you know, the Yankees are good again. And um, But but also there's there's some guys. I mean, it's tough to not like some of the guys on their team, right? Like Aaron Judge, he's such a good story. Like, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, six foot seven, he was adopted and everything, and he just seems like a, a good guy. And it's like, you know, so, so uh, there's not any of those A-Rod characters, you know, on that team. And so... Um, you know, it's uh, we'll see, but yeah, it would be nice to see you know some some heated uh, you know uh, something uh, a brawl or something. Or something. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Aaron Judge may be a good guy and all, Chris, but I'm willing to bet once he starts regularly uh, hitting balls out of the ballpark against Red Sox pitchers, uh, the fan That's base true. here will be hitting hating him very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> Derek Jeter is a good guy, but the Red Sox fans do not like him. So yeah, I, I, I can I can see where you're coming there. Sure. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the trip so far. This is a, a big three city trip for the team. Uh, so far, four and three. Sox winning two out of three uh, out in Chicago last week. Uh, by the way, I noticed on your Twitter handle looked like you had a picture with the Chicago skyline behind you, which looks familiar to me because I took a similar picture when I was out there last summer. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I mean the trips uh, so far. I mean. Um, the big thing is David Price. You know, that's the big thing from this trip. 
Right. Well, that yeah, that being in Baltimore, and of course, uh, let's let's talk about really. I guess the biggest topic of this trip uh, with so far is uh, the big four game series in Baltimore, where things started off going about as badly as they could have from a Red Sox perspective. They lose the first two games. Eduardo Rodriguez is injured, and we ultimately, I guess, uh, some breaking news this afternoon, you probably heard as well, uh, looks like uh, Dr. Andrews uh, uh, examined uh, Rodriguez and says he's going to be out about three to four weeks to rest that knee, so uh, before we get to David Price, why don't we talk uh, quickly about Eduardo Rodriguez here and uh, the the injury coming at at the worst time, I mean, he's had such a, a solid start to the season uh, for the team, uh, an ERA of about three and a half and a, a four and two record, uh, which doesn't even necessarily tell the whole story. He's pitched so solidly, uh, you know, and then the freak injury happens, and now it looks like uh, he's going to be out until the All Star break. Uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it, he was going so good, and uh, you know, I look at him as, you know, I mean, he, he, I've always believed in Eduardo. I mean, some people lost some faith last year. Um, and that was mostly because of the knee injury and, you know, the fact that, you know, he needs some peace of mind as well when, you know, it's not, it's kind of getting over the hump with him. Um, you know, the knee can be healthy, but he's still tentative on it. He was tentative on it last year when it came back. And, you know, it took him a while to finally, you know, go after it and, and pitch, pitch on it and feel comfortable. And that's my concern this year is even, you know, you know, with him, it's like, well, even when he comes back in, you know, a month, it's like he's got to have that mental capacity to get over the physical hurdle. Um, you know, I mean, is he, does he think he can, you know, does he think he can handle, you know, the, the delivery and everything and, and not be tentative? Because if he's a tentative pitcher, you know, that he's not at his best. So... This this is not a good situation. We do get to see more of Brian Johnson now, um, but this is you know he was going so well. But this also could help a little bit because one thing that I kept saying to people was he's never pitched 200 innings in a year, and right now he's you know he's on track for 190 or whatever, and he's going to be you know burnt out in, in terms of you know September and the playoffs when they come. So, you know, maybe this makes it a little healthier towards the end of the season. I don't know, but I just don't like this whole feel because, you know, he's had the knee problems before and it's taken him a long time to come back. And it's not just because of the health of the knee, but it's also that mental hurdle of getting over it and, you know, pitching and feeling good on it and, and going all, you know, all out 100% when he's out there on the mound. Yeah, well, you bring up a great point about that, Chris, the mental aspect of this, because like you said, it took him so long last season, you know, missing the first couple months of the season and then just kind of revving up. wasn't really till late in the year that we got to see some glimpses of, of how good he could be. And this year, he had a healthy spring training and came into the season with an awful lot of confidence, and it's really shown as he's pitched so well. And then all of a sudden, he has that freak tumble out in the uh, Orioles' uh, bullpen and uh, at, at Camden Yards, and... You know, then he, he, you know, to his credit, I guess, he went out there and tried to tough it out, but he obviously was not 100%, and then ultimately he winds up on the DL. And, uh, yeah, now, right now, it's the mental hurdle of, you know, all of a sudden that uncertainty is back in his head again, like you said. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I was talking to Carl Willis, the pitching coach, earlier this year, and I said, I forget when it was, but it was it was late in it was late in April, and I said, "What's the difference between Eduardo right now and where he was last year?" And um, you know, he said, "Well, 
you know, he's last year was plagued by that whole mental thing where, you know, until he got into the second half and he felt physically good, he you know, that was that was affecting him. And if you look at his second half numbers last year, the ERA was he had a sub four ERA. Actually I think it was like three point three or something near there. So in the last like fourteen starts of the year in the second half. So, you know, He's very good. We saw that, obviously, you know, his rookie season in 2015. Uh, he was developing into the number two on this staff uh, behind Chris Sale. Uh, now comes in David Price with a good start, and, you know, now he has to take over there, there right from where Eduardo left off. Well, that's a great segue, too, Chris, because, you know, I actually wanted to connect uh, uh, Erod to Price. And by doing that, I guess I can bring up the name Dr. James Andrews, who, as we all know, the reputation that this uh, brilliant surgeon has is when you go to visit him, typically, you know, you're going to be under you're going to go under the knife and going to miss a significant amount of time, if not an entire season. And in the case of uh, the uh, diagnosis on you know, Eduardo Rodriguez uh, recommending, uh, Dr. Andrews recommending three to four weeks of rest as opposed to any kind of surgery on his knee. And then let's uh, bring this to David Price now, because back in spring training, Dr. Andrews examined Price, and it was Price who, uh, uh, same situation, he said, you know, uh, you know, again, you don't need to... Uh, you know, you can rest this as opposed to having surgery, um, a lot of it having to do with his age and everything. And now, you know, he's back after a long rest. He comes back and he's had two really good starts. Obviously, the start uh, in Baltimore this weekend was, uh, you know, nothing short of remarkable. I guess, uh, Chris, your thoughts just overall on, on his performance. I, I don't think any of us were expecting anything that strong from Price out of the out of the gate in his uh, second start uh you know, this season he's throwing in the mid-90s and he's finding his spots and, you know, he just looked like the dominant pitcher that we know he can be. Yeah, well, I saw him in, uh, in Pawtucket, his final rehab there, and the numbers weren't there, obviously, but he threw 96 miles per hour in that start. And the hits, that, I mean, they weren't cranking the ball off of him. Uh, there was a lot of runs and a lot of hits, but, you know, as I mentioned on Twitter, I'm one of them. I was like, oh, that's a ball that Xander would have made, uh, a play that Xander would have made that the, the Pawtucket shortstop didn't make. So I didn't, I thought, me personally, I thought he should have started one more game at Pawtucket on, on his rehab. I guess he's proven all, you know, me wrong, anybody who thought that wrong, because he, he looks good. And another thing is, I've been one of those that's believed that this is going to, likely end up in surgery. Uh, you know, he told me, and, and it, he's not been, you know, um, extremely happy guy this year, and he told me in Tor Toronto that, you know, he wasn't sure that he was going to avoid surgery. That was in April, mid-April, and that was when he was having some of his setbacks, um, and, you know, they originally wanted to get him into some spin games, and his bullpens didn't go as well, and then they went back to the bullpens. Um, but, I mean, I'm looking at him right now, and I see a guy that's pitching better right now than he was at this point last year, which I can honestly say that because I watched him last year, and his velocities were really never came last year. I mean, he, was, he averaged 92 on the fastball last year, high 92, and... That was the question the whole entire year when we went to John Farrell. 
why is the velocity down with him? Uh, you know, some starts you would ramp it up a little bit, but, you know, the velocity wasn't there. And, I'm, you know, he's coming off an elbow injury here, an elbow strain. There was the sense that he might need surgery. A lot of people predicting that he just would result in surgery. And all of a sudden, he's feeling like he did in Tampa Bay. Um, so it's like, wow, you know? And, um, you know, maybe he's on a mission because he doesn't like Boston and he wants to prove everybody wrong here. That, <laughs> that uh, he can handle Boston and that, you know, he, he's got because personally, I'll tell you, he, he's not happy with the local media. He's not talking to us in between starts. Uh, there were some national reporters that talked to him in, in between his start uh, here in, in Baltimore. and uh, But he, he, he's not happy with the local reporters, and I think that he sometimes maybe doesn't differentiate between, you know, the fans on Twitter going at him as opposed to, you know, the local reporters who, you know, have to be tough and ask some tough questions at times. Uh, so he, you know, maybe this is the good David Price. He doesn't really care what anybody thinks about him anymore, and he's ready to show us all what he can do. You may have summed that up really well there, Chris, that, you know, maybe finally he doesn't care. I've, you know, to to an extent where I, you know, we've been talking about this, I think, throughout the season on our, on our TV show and everything, Howie and I have uh, spoken about this, and that the fact is that, you know, yeah, he does seem to get a lot of it in his head. I think, you know, again, we're kind of we're talking about where Eduardo Rodriguez has, you know, mental hurdles to overcome, and David Price to a large degree does as well. Uh, just to follow up on your point, though, when you say uh, David Price doesn't like it here, you're, you're saying strictly it has to do with the media and maybe those few fans that are maybe trolling him on Twitter, right? I mean, it's not it's not his teammates, it's not, you know, the oh, city no. overall, and it's not the maybe the fans who show up at the ballpark who cheer him. Yeah, so I asked him um, in 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 April when I did this story with him. I said to him, uh, and he he wasn't very like you know forthcoming in a way. Like uh, he it didn't really feel like he was too much into the interview. But I said, "Are you going to have surgery? I mean, is there is, are you a hundred percent confident you're going to avoid it?" And you know, at that point, he said, "We'll see." You know, and then I started asking him some other questions. I don't know if he was too happy I was asking him, but I was interested. I said, "Do you like Boston?" And he goes, "Yeah, like that." And I said, "Well, are you sure?" And stuff like that, or something like that, as a follow-up, and you know, and indicating it doesn't seem like you like it here. And you know, he's like, "Yeah, I like my teammates." That was his response. Um, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, he obviously doesn't hate all fans, but he, he likes his teammates. He likes certain fans. He doesn't like getting trolled on Twitter. And, you know, I, don't, I think that if he was to do it all over again, he probably would have signed with the St. Louis Cardinals. But, you know, right now, I don't care if he doesn't talk to the media. If he wants to go out and pitch like a maniac, and, you know, strike everybody out and, you know, win a championship, that's fine. That's what he That's what he was signed to do. Uh, he wasn't signed to talk to the media. As I wrote in an article recently, if Chris Sale decided, you know, he didn't want to talk after that rehab start in Pawtucket, that, you know, Price got a lot of a lot of flack for not talking after that right, rehab start right. in Pawtucket. He just got in his car and... There was a ton of reporters there, and he just left. You mean his giant uh, Sherman tank there of a vehicle? <laughs> yeah, I said in my column, I said if Chris Sale did that, it wouldn't be as it wouldn't be a big issue because he's 
you know, he's pushed his butt off and uh and he's shown already that he can handle Boston. There's questions of that with with David Price and that's why he gets it on, on Twitter. And so um but right now, I mean, I don't I don't care that he's not talking to the media. If he wants to go out there and pitch well and not talk to the media, then I'll be that that's great for him. Just perform. That's the thing, just perform. And then and then people in Boston will love you. Right. No, no, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, if anything, he needs to t- tune out and, and spend a little less time on social media. Well, let me kind of work on your, your theory here, Chris. And, and originally I was going to say uh, regarding price, I was going to originally talk about the the fact that maybe, you know, you mentioned earlier he, he's throwing harder and, you know, with more, you know, obviously the velocity is up. I'm wondering if over the course of last year when his velocity was not as good as it is now, as, as you've said, is maybe he needed to get that reassurance from Dr. Andrews, you know, maybe if, if he had met with, with a doctor of either either Dr. Andrews or his ilk last year, maybe that would have uh, given him the, con- maybe that was kind of stuck in his head a little bit too. But aside from that, I also want to bring up what you just said, that you think if he had it, to do over, maybe he'd go to St. Louis. Do you think that might be what's driving David Price here under the guise that, you know, he has an opt-out clause at the end of the 2018 season, but he also realizes he's not going to get another big contract from another team unless he goes out there and performs to the best of his ability. He can't be going under the knife having Tommy John and being out the next 18 months. So do you think that could possibly be driving him? If, if you, if you indeed what you're kind of suggesting, this theory that you have, uh, that you think that maybe he'd rather be in you know somewhere other than Boston, uh, do you think that might be uh, a force behind his uh, quick start out of the gate here? Yeah, I would think that he would be, yeah, that, that's a great theory. And so, yeah, I mean, I would think that, I mean, obviously it's a better situation for the Red Sox if he opts out, in, you know, after the end of, what is it, after the end of 2018. Um, but, you know, so if Red Sox fans, you know, they've got to hope that if they don't want to see him on his team, <laughs> they got to hope he pitches really well over the past next year and a half because, that's what's going to get him the contract and get him out of Boston. And he did say in that Globe story, which he talked about. Um, was that the one with Stan Grossfeld uh, a while back? No, uh, no, it was the one with Peter Abraham. And oh, okay. Um, in, during the winter, it was like January, and Peter Abraham went and talked to him in Tennessee and Nashville and sat down with him in a restaurant or whatever. And it was the one where he talked about how he had heard the racial comment in the bullpen. And he had a, I don't, a lot of people, this goes kind of overshadowed because a lot of people uh, remember the most the most important thing from that story is the racial comment, but he actually said to um, Peter, uh, I, I'm not going to opt out. I've already decided I'm not going to opt out. Uh, I, you know, I committed to this team. This is where I want to be. I want to win a championship here. And I, I've already decided but you know first of all munch speaks and second of all uh things have changed since then too i think that you know things have gotten harder for him over the last you know so many months because he sat out because you know he didn't have this strained relationship with the media even when he came to spring training so yes i can see him 
opting out if he pitches well here and going somewhere where he's, you know, he likes it more. Um, just because, you know, David, you know, he's, he's a good guy, and but he wants things, you know, he, you know he, he doesn't really want to feel that pressure, I don't think. And it's not like he doesn't want to pitch in the big game. It's just, I mean, he could pitch in the big game in, in St. Louis. He could pitch in the World Series and just not feel as much pressure there on a daily basis. So he could still play for a very good team and, you know, not have that daily grind of, you know, not liking the media and, you know, staying away from us and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's an interesting mix with him, and I could see in terms of, um, yeah, that he's pitching and he has that in mind too, and the Red Sox would probably hope that he opts out as well because that's a pretty good um, free agent class, I think, that year. And so they probably want some money to spend, too. So we'll see. Maybe. However, of course, uh, if he's pitching really well at the top of his game, then, you know, maybe, you know, you certainly would want to keep him around. You you bring up the fact uh, about the pressure that maybe he'd be facing uh, staying here in Boston. But uh, a variable that's here now that wasn't here last year for David Price is Chris Sale. And maybe having, you know, kind of an alpha dog personality like Sale and someone who, uh, has the ability to let things roll off his back, and like Price, can you know he's an upper level to an elite type pitcher. You know, maybe having the presence of Sale in there kind of takes some of the pressure off of Price. Where, granted, there's still expectations on him, but now he doesn't have to necessarily be the man. I mean, it, it feels like right now this is kind of you know the Red Sox, at least the 2017 version, have become you know, a lot about Chris Sale, and obviously he's been here the whole year, and, and Price hasn't, but I think even if Price had been here from, from day one this season and, and not out, um, you know, that Sale still seems to be the one taking charge, and maybe that'll be a benefit to uh, to Price the to kind of, you know, still pitch in the big games but not have to be the man, and everyone's, like, looking at him to be that stopper or, you know, I think because Sale is kind of, you know, turning into that uh, for the Red Sox uh, starting rotation. Yeah, and you know what? Um, first impressions are lasting, too, uh, because, you know, Price did not pitch well in his first, I don't know, eight starts last year. And that's where he lost a lot of people. Um, you know, and, and Price, uh, Sale comes in here, and he can do no wrong in Boston because he had the best first month. You know, ever. <laughs> so, uh, you know, first... Well, since Pedro, anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we forget in a way that, um, you know, Sale hasn't pitched in a playoff game in his life. We don't know how he'll respond. Um, you know, he, his numbers tend to... You know, I'm not saying that they tend to dip a little bit later in the year. Um, but, but it's like Boston doesn't care about that because he's like Boston's favorite son right now because, you know, he is... He pitched his butt off in the first uh, the first month of the year, and fan, he did himself to fans right away. And you know, Price didn't do that last year. Maybe so. It's like you know, Price could actually pitch better than Sale for the rest of the year here, and fans will still like Price, still like Sale more. It's just, it's just like a no-win situation right now for Price. Well, I mean, I, I think it's a temperament thing as well. And it just it feels like Chris Sale yeah, yeah. has a better temperament to kind of handle the, the Boston fans who are not, you know, at times they can be, you know, this comes to, this is the pro and the con. It, it, you know, people, you know, players who either play in Boston or just, you know, are coming to Fenway Park on a regular basis are so, you know, 
impressed by the fan base here, but that fan base can sometimes be so fanatical, and I think sometimes they do get a little a little crazy, and and that's the part where someone like a David Price, who's kind of a more thoughtful, you know, caring what everybody thinks kind of guy, um, you know, is gonna not it's gonna be a detriment for him to have to deal with the with the criticism that that pops yeah. up from time to time. Yeah. And, um, but as I said, right now, I don't think he does care about what people think as much. And I haven't really seen him pop up too much on the, uh, on the Twitter machine. Uh, so that's a good thing. Uh, he hasn't been defensive on there. He hasn't really gone back and forth with fans. Um, he's pictured, he's posted a few pictures of his, his newborn. And that's it, really. And, and he really doesn't care what us, media thing about him or he would stay there and talk the other night I so if he's pitching well I, I just uh, you know his issues go away in a way so we'll see yeah you know when we had John uh, Chris we had, had John our uh, TV show before the season and we were I think ta- I think I made some joke at the time I said if there was a way you could extract some you know whatever the serum is out of Chris Sale that gives him <laughs> that that temperament that allows him to just you know really relate to the Boston fans and let things roll off his back if you could somehow extract that out of Chris Sale and inject it into David Price either that or just lock David Price and Chris Sale in a room and have Sale just you know convince Price that this is how you have to you know, handle yourself, uh, you know, with the Red Sox. I mean, yeah, yeah, it would just that would that would solve a lot of problems. I mean, that is rubbing off on him a little. Well, hopefully bit. it is now, right? Like you say, maybe the fact that he's kind of you know, Price is right now focusing on his pitching and not dealing with all that social media junk. That's that's a good thing for him, and maybe you know, maybe a little bit of sale is rubbing off on him. Speaking of sale, let's get to him uh, again. Uh, just a reminder: you are uh, listening to the uh, Tost Toddcast. I'm Todd Bloniars, and on the phone with us is Christopher Smith, uh, Red Sox beat writer from MassLive.com. You can follow him at Smitty on MLB. And uh, Chris, talking about sales uh, performance, uh, we'll talk about the the game in Baltimore yesterday. Obviously, Price on Saturday night getting that first win uh, of the series uh, at Camden Yards was big after the Sox had lost the first two games there. Then they come back sale yesterday. Uh, You know, he's had two games on this trip now where, okay, the game in Chicago uh, you know, against his old uh, White Sox teammates. Maybe he's a little too amped up in that game, possibly, and maybe that led to, you know, his uh, subpar performance this time. He doesn't necessarily get the great defense behind him in the first inning, throws 38 pitches. Um, you know, there's a couple plays that uh, Pablo Sandoval has uh, has trouble with. I mean, what was your thought overall on, on Sale's performance yesterday and, and just the way he bounced back after, you know, that, that heavy pitch first inning? Yeah, so I thought um, when I went back and I looked at it, I, I thought he got hit pretty good in the first inning as well. Like I said to you know a lot of fans on Twitter, they all like you know beating up on Pablo for missing the tag, and then you know when the ball was you know the ball clearly was ahead of the runner um, by about three you know <laughs> three seconds, and Pablo should have had the tag on, and um, and then the other play where Pablo threw to second base. Daryl said after the game, it's a 3-2 count. The, the runners are off on the count. There's two outs. He's got to go across the diamond to first base. So there's two errors by Pablo. Um, Which weren't actually, neither one was actually yeah, scored an error. Actually an error. And I, I have a difficulty even really understanding why a ball can be thrown into right field and not be an error. But um, 
that's another day. Yeah. Well, right? well you know, actually, just in, in his defense, in Pablo's defense there, I mean, he did throw the ball right to second base. Devin Marrero broke late, and it might be for the exact reason you said that Farrell told you. Ultimately, Marrero was uh, not expecting a throw to come to second base. Maybe he was ex- yeah. he was obviously expecting yeah, Pablo to throw to first as well. Yeah. So, you know, so overall, um, you know, to, to actually come out, and you know, that's when, you know, I mean, I was like, whoa, this is a lot of pitches. I think it was 39 in the first inning. I was like, you know, he's not going to last five in this thing. And he ended up, you know, really getting his pitch count under control, and he ended up with another nine strikeouts. So it's hard to really argue that he had a bad day. Uh, then when you look at the box score afterwards, it's like there was only six hits off of him. And it seemed like there were some, some, you know, hard hit balls in the first inning. But, you know, I mean, overall on the day, it was a pretty, it was a pretty good day considering that, you know, he wasn't helped out there in the first inning. He was probably, um, as I Farrell estimated, it was between 15 and 18 less pitches he would have had to throw if those two, if those plays were made. So you're talking about, you know, another inning or two for him. I mean, if he gets in the seventh or eighth inning, we're not talking about, oh, is this a bad performance by sale, uh, even if he had given up three runs over the course of the game. So... Uh, I wouldn't worry too much about Sale. As I said, his numbers um, do tail off a little bit. He has not great numbers in September. Um, But I I was looking at his his splits from last year. He had a two-point-something year in June and July. And, you know, I, I I would think there's not an issue with him right now. And I think he's the least of the issues. I think that, um, you know, he's going to continue to go out there and give the Red Sox what they need. Yeah, I would ag- I would generally agree with that, Chris, but should be perhaps be a little concerned, at least in these last two starts. He has thrown a lot more pitches in those starts, and like you bring up, his August and September numbers overall aren't that good. I mean, let's face it, he's, he's a skinny guy, and, you know, I think as the season goes on, there's some wear and tear that kicks in with him. Uh, you know, his career numbers would kind of show you that or maybe indicate that. So when he's throwing this many pitches in, you know, starts in late May or early June, is that something that, you know, are you a little maybe concerned with that could come back and, you know, when we get to, you know, the the later stretches of the season, that could come back to haunt him? I'm concerned more for October because if you if you think about it, one of the theories of why Price hasn't pitched well in the postseason is because he's, he pitches so much during the regular season. He's the type of guy that will get you there to October. You know, he's always a 200-inning-a-year guy. 230, I think, last year. You know, so everybody says with Price, well, maybe he's burnt out by that time and then he gets to the postseason. That's why he doesn't pitch as well. Well, if sales get burnt out a little bit by September, uh, yeah, there's definitely concern come the postseason. Maybe his adrenaline kicks back in and he's, you know, throwing balls by 98. <laughs> but the other thing to be concerned about in that Chicago game is, is too, did he you know, did he get amped up too much, and would that maybe happen in a postseason game, uh, you know, facing his old team? And, um, you know, so I don't know. I mean, we really don't know what what to, what to expect from Chris Sale comes, you know, come the postseason. We don't even know really if this team's going to get there. I think they will. I think they're good enough. Um, but, yeah, that's an interesting storyline as we go. 
along, hey, what if, what ha- what happens if Sale doesn't pitch well in the postseason and, and Price carries the team? <laughs> Wouldn't yeah, that be well, a dramatic change from what everybody? Yeah, well, that's true. You're right. I think that would certainly throw folks, uh, most Red Sox fans, for a loop. Uh, uh, for sure. I mean, the way, I guess the one thing we can count on with, with Chris Sale is, uh, you know, again, we talked about just his overall kind of temperament, demeanor, and uh, you had a nice uh, write-up after the game yesterday, just the fact that, uh, you know, uh, where some pitchers, perhaps in a game where they're forced to throw a lot of extra pitches because their defense kind of fails on them, you know, you didn't have uh, Chris Sale doing that to Pablo Sandoval. Uh, he certainly wasn't throwing him under the proverbial bus, yeah. and uh, instead, you know, he was not but positive and then you know he talks about how Sandoval bounced back after some questionable defensive plays and you know he gets a hit in the next inning and you know so I mean and that's the kind of thing that obviously teammates are going to respond to positively as well so uh, yeah, I mean, yeah he, he totally flipped it so that he was like well he rallied the team by getting a, you know a double in the next inning you know he didn't he didn't pout he didn't hold his head down he went out and got a double so you know basically you know, he pointed out an example of something that Sandoval did well, whereas all he really needed to say or all any pitcher that really doesn't think about that situation would say is, you know, that stuff happens. Oh, well. You know, my fielders are going to make mistakes once in a while. Well, he he took it to the next level. He said, you know, well, look at what Pablo did the next thing, you know, and that's part of the team and all that. So, yeah, I thought that showed leadership and... Yeah, you know, that's that's a, that's a definitely a positive going forward. Well, while, uh, you know, uh, Sale might have some patience with uh, Pablo Sandoval, I'm starting to wonder how much patience you think John Farrell, the manager, is going to have uh, playing Sandoval. Uh, you know, obviously the, the defense at third base is still kind of erratic. You know, the plays he did or didn't make yesterday, uh, notwithstanding. But, you know, just in general, and of course he's still, he's still only hitting two thirty four. Uh, you know, how long does uh, Farrell, you know, and it's a tough situation because obviously, you know, you've got uh, Sandoval under contract uh, through the end of the, you know, for two more seasons after this one. So uh, he's around for a while at like $19 million a year. And, you know, uh, I'm not sure, uh, you know, when do you think at what point would uh, John Farrell, uh, you know, pull the plug? As it is, he's kind of already taking, uh, you know, Pablo out defensively in the late innings for Devin Marrero. Uh, so how long do you think he's going to continue going? Uh, with with Sandoval in the, in the starting lineup on a either regular or irregular basis. Yeah, well, so he is um, he is also platooning in now too at Demerero in terms of right left. So you know Pablo will get the right handed starters and Demerero will get the left handed starters. So he's basically a, a platoon player who could come out in late innings for defensive purposes, and we've already seen that yesterday where he came out in the late innings. So. Uh, you know, I, I think that Farrell's already losing patience, and he already, you know, I mean, we saw that he was very quick last year during spring training. When when Travis Shaw won the job in spring training last year, it wasn't because of hitting. Um, you know, that might affect you as well. But the main thing was defense, and that's what John Farrell said immediately when he won the job. And the reporters asked why. It was, he said it was a defensive decision. And so you look back to this year when the Red Sox had 12 errors between, you know, Josh Rutledge, um, you know, Marco Hernandez and Pablo Sandoval, and Rutledge had that one really bad game, and he was not back at third base at all. 
he's a better hitter than Devin Guerrero. But he's not back at third base. He has not been back at third base except for, you know, a couple innings, you know, when they needed him. And so, you know, he this is going to be a if, – if Pablo makes errors consistently here, or I shouldn't say consistently, but, yeah, he made four errors, two throwing, two fielding in his first, what, 16 games or whatever before landing on the deal. If that kind of run happens over the next couple of weeks, I – I would expect that he doesn't. He loses more playing time. It's not just platoon. He, he you know, Devin Marrero gets in there more often. And his defense is such a liability right now. He's not a good defensive player. You know, you you really can't defend it anymore. Um, and Pun you know, intended. maybe they give him some. He does look like his swings have been pretty good since he came back against uh, right-handed pitching. Maybe you give him some at bats against right-handers, you know, in the DH role, <laughs> you know, because he really hasn't done much, um, you know. And so if he can help you there, he can help you there. But yeah, I think that that's going to be a main focus towards the trade deadline for Dave Dombrowski is how do we how do we fix that situation? He's got to think about, and uh, you know, uh, I just don't see it with with Pablo unless. He surprises us. Like, you know, surprise, surprise us in those first two starts. But yeah, I don't. I don't think. I think it's going to be a relatively short leash uh, with John Farrell has with with Sandoval, just because we saw the short leash with others. I mean, with Rutledge, um, you know, he is obviously a better hitter than Marrero. Marrero hit one ninety nine last year at Pawtucket. And he's hitting 171 right now, but he is playing. Exactly. He's playing well at third base. So right. So it was, you, he was in that's 171 in the majors, and he, but he had also he was hitting below 200 in Pawtucket too. Yeah. So obviously he can't really hit, but they they valued the defense there, and we we saw like with a game yesterday that defense is important. Yes. Well, yeah, Marrero in the late inning, he made a nice play on a, a little dribbler up the line that, you know, you Pablo probably would not have made that play. No question. But here's the other problem that comes up, Chris, and this is where I want to kind of ask you about the uh, injury status of Dustin Pedroia and when he's coming back. Because the way I'm looking at this 25-man roster right now, when Pedroia comes back, uh, somebody is going to have to go for him. Uh, they're going to have to shorten up the bench. Right now, Farrell has the luxury of the flexibility because he has both Marrero and Rutledge. Kind of he can move them around and they can play second, third, whatever. But, you know, when Pedroia comes back, you're going to have to send an infielder down. And the problem is Josh Rutledge doesn't have options and Devin Marrero does. But by doing that, now you've sort of stuck yourself with Pablo full time at third base. Right, I mean, so where what happens there? Well, so Pedroia will be back on Friday. I'm okay, so that is the, he is definitely going to be back on Friday, or at least it looks that way right now. Decisions we've gotten so far, he'll still need to take some BP in uh, in, in New York, and that's going to be in on Tuesday most likely. But they've said from day one that they think this is only going to be a ten day thing, mm-hmm. and and that's. The latest we got on Sunday was this is still only going to be a 10-day thing, and they expect him back by Friday. Now, you bring up a good point. Because the, the third-base defense is so important, Devin Morrell has to stay on the roster. Because Rutledge is a Rule 5 draft guy and can't be, you know, they lose him if they, they can't send him down. Right. has to stay on the roster for the other depth. 
And so you're going to have to send Sam Travis down. You're going to have to send who down? Sam Travis. Oh, oh, right, yes, that's true. Travis, right, who's only been playing against uh, left-handed uh, starters. Assuming that is what they're probably going to do. I did forget about him, so thank you for reminding me, Chris. Uh, he actually has played well in some of the starts he's had against left-handed pitching. but uh, oh, but it's, yeah. like, you know, with him, I, I'd rather him go down just because, you know, I'd like to see him get consistent at anyway. Sure. Sure. So, yeah, you're right. That would then keep Marrero in play. Uh, well, let me ask you this really quick, Dad. Okay, so let's say, uh, you know, Dombrowski's impatient with uh, Pablo's play at third base. And, you know, is it realistic to think the Red Sox could swing a deal for a Todd Frazier or a Mike Moustakas, two guys who could both be on the block, but guys whose contracts are going to be up at the end of the year? And this goes back to the whole, what do the Red Sox have left in the farm system to deal? Uh, actually, oddly enough, the Red Sox lost another prospect today, and they didn't even make a trade today. But uh, I guess the player to be named later uh, for Tyler Thornburg was cashed in, uh, just adding more insult to injury with that trade. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so we say we say goodbye to uh, Yison Coca, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, uh, yeah I have no idea if you're pronouncing that right. But, uh, okay, so, yeah, so what, uh, I mean, it What's the real reality or the, you know, what's the realistic take on, you know, you think Dombrowski's, you know, could make a deal for one of those guys? I mean, so, you know, that would fill a hole at third base if you think there is one. So the, the system isn't as bad as some people might think, and it's because there's been a lot of prospects that have had very good years so far that have put themselves back into prospect status, such as like Michael Chavis, who was a first-round pick in 2014. He's had three multi-home run games. He's the he's having the best offensive season. And he's a third baseman. <laughs> exactly. So that's the thing. They have three third basemen on their team, on their in their minor league organization that have thought pretty highly of. Right. The one that we all know about is Raphael Devers, who I actually got to see play in Portland a couple weeks ago. Uh, unfortunately, it was right in the midst of his uh, slump that he's had. He's been oh, yeah. striking out a lot lately, and I got to see a little bit of that in person. Uh, but he is still only uh, 20 years old, and uh, yeah. boy, he looks I mean, he looks body-wise like he should be in the major leagues right now. He's yeah. a big guy. I didn't realize he was that big. Yeah, I know. He's a big kid. So... So you've got like three guys. I mean, that Bobby Dahl, I think it's pronounced Dahlbeck, um, is a guy that they drafted in the fourth round last year out of Arizona, and he's had an injury plague season this year, but he's considered a big-time power prospect, and a lot of rankings have him as the fourth-best prospect in the Red Sox organization. He's a third baseman. So you got Chavis, you got this Bobby Dahlbeck, and you've got... Um, and, you know, you've got Devers, so maybe you trade one of them. Um, you've got guys that are outperforming what expectations were in terms of relievers in, in the um, in the minor league system and starting pitchers right now. They've made a lot of promotions early in seasons already that they typically don't do. Uh, guys like Sean Anderson, who's a third-round pick last year out of Florida, he's already been promoted. So I think that we're seeing a lot of guys that have outperformed maybe expectations a little bit and put themselves in a better prospect category so that the system's not as bad. Now, the thing is, you, you really don't want to lose too many more guys. So you're like, you know, you don't want to lose a, you know, a blue chip type guy, obviously, for somebody that you're going to, you know, that you're going to only have for two months. 
uh, and you don't want to, you know, gut your farm system even more than what you already did because you, you know, you've lost so many good guys anyway. You're like, you know, you're reluctant to trade anybody at this point. Right, and as someone who's a little bit older than you, Chris, uh, I would say you could never quite have enough uh, third basement third base depth in the organization because I can remember back in 1990 when the Red Sox supposedly had all this depth at third base and decided to trade a double A third baseman by the name of Jeff Bagwell for, uh, <laughs> for uh, Anderson the relief pitcher who turned into a rental himself and uh, you know we obviously Bagwell went on to a, a Hall of Fame career so uh, you know the, the infamous Luke Gorman uh, deal there he said he'd never seen him play I guess my feeling is even if, if, if Chavis and Dalbeck and uh, the Devers are all playing well. Uh, you know, teach one of those guys to play another position. I mean, it worked with yeah, Mickey Betts, you know, uh, you know. This actually hasn't, I looked at, I think he's been de-aging a lot this year, so he could maybe end up playing, you know, left field or somewhere, you know, some some other place on the diamond and stay third base. So, yes, I would agree that, you know, we always, you can always, we always see if, if he's a good enough player, you want to keep him in find another spot for him, as we saw with like Mookie Betts going from second base to, you know, the outfield. Uh, you know, if he's good enough, you don't trade him, you keep him, and you put him somewhere else. So we'll see. But um, yeah, I mean, if the price is right, uh, they do have some guys in their system. But you, as I said, you don't want to overspend for one of these guys just for a, for a uh, two month rental to cut your farm system even more when you've already done so much damage. Well, speaking of uh, uh, potential uh, trade acquisitions, and, and this isn't so much a trade, but just looking at guys who are currently on the Red Sox DL that could could help them, uh, you know, perhaps uh, in the second half, uh, you know, some updates. Can you provide us any updates, Chris, on uh, Carson Smith and Tyler Thornburg? Where are they at? Uh, the Red Sox bullpen kind of still, I mean, thank goodness for Craig Kimbrell and the incredible season he's had. I mean, he's been kind of Mariano Rivera-like, just an automatic, uh, you know, you put him in there, he's going to close that game out. But, you know, you know, the rest of that bullpen, you know, I know Barnes has been better lately, you know, as far as being more consistent in his performances, but there's still a lot of question marks. Uh, you'd love to get Carson Smith and Tyler Thornburg in there because, again, we talked about the, the lack of depth in the farm system. You're not going to really be able to trade for, Guys, and that might explain the uh, the presence of uh, of uh, what the recent uh, acquisition there, Blaine Boyer, the immortal thirty five year old Blaine Boyer. I mean, that's what I think. That's what Dombrowski's going to have to do. Yeah, they're there, right? But what's the update on Smith and Thornburg? When when do you expect yeah, them? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Smith is going to pitch a live BP session in in uh, New York tomorrow on Tuesday, first game of the series in New York, and so um, I, he's obviously. Way ahead of Thornburg at this point, who Thornburg was throwing out to 120 feet. At one point, he'd gotten past the 120 feet long toss. At certain points, they wanted him to throw 150 feet before he threw his first bullpen. He never made it there. They shut him down a little bit. Now they brought him back, and he's at 90 feet. This is just a bizarre situation. We, I have no idea if he's going to pitch this year, but I think I think we will see Carson Smith pitch this year. Uh, he told me a couple of weeks ago that his velocity feels back. He hasn't clocked himself, but uh, or there hasn't been a gun on him, but um, he, he feels good. He, is, he feels his velocity is back, and uh, he could be a great addition to this bullpen late in June. Uh, so, so the next step would be after a live BP. You know, if he feels good there, 
I don't know, maybe a, maybe a couple more and send him out for a rehab or, you know, maybe one more and then send him out for a rehab assignment. And he could be back even before late, uh, late June, potentially, you know, if he throws well down in the minors. So uh, it's very positive with Cousin Smith right now, not so positive with Tyler Thornberg. Yeah, well, it's it's too bad to hear that news about Thornburg, but uh, yeah, certainly getting Smith back would be, uh, uh, you know, uh, helpful for sure. Uh, stick with the pitching really quick here, and then we're going to do a quick thing on the outfield. But uh, uh, Brian Johnson, obviously, with, uh, you know, bringing this back around, we, you know, with uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, as we just heard uh, earlier today, is going to be out for three to four weeks, probably till the All-Star break. So it looks like Brian Johnson's going to get an extended run here. Uh, I guess he tweaked his hamstring the other day, but nothing serious. And he'll uh, he'll slot into the Red Sox rotation uh, Saturday at Fenway against Detroit. And so it looks like he might get about three or four starts before the, the All-Star break. Uh, what were your thoughts, uh, what you saw of him a little bit earlier? He had that great start against Seattle. I mean, what do you, uh, has he gotten over a lot of his, uh, I mean, he's had a lot of mental type issues too uh certainly with the anxiety and everything what what's your take on uh, on him has he gotten over that and he's ready to kind of move forward now with his career yeah no I, i've always been a big brian johnson guy i felt like uh you know he doesn't throw hard but he's got other stuff and he's got a really good curveball and you know if he can change speeds with the fastball it's deception with that and um you know, he's going to be effective pitcher in the major leagues i mean he was a you know, a first-round draft pick, you know, I think was, like, 2011, 2012. I think it was 2012. But anyway, you know, I've always liked Johnson. I talked to his protected pitching coach, Bob Kipper, and, you know, he said he's really getting back to what he did best in 2014 and in 2015 when he was at the top of his game as a pitching prospect in, in you know, baseball, really. And uh, it's about pitchability. It's you know, about changing speeds, deception, throwing all your pitches in any counts, you know, throwing the curveball in any count. Um, so I've I've always liked him. He works quick, um, and he is a good guy. Everybody likes him because, he, you know, all the media likes him because he is a good guy, and he's a good story to root for. Uh, you know, he has overcome a lot more than, you know, just the anxiety and he got hit in the face twice. Uh, you know, with line drives coming back to him, first time he wow. had fractures in his face. And um, when, when was that? And, was that re- okay. when? When did that happen? So he, um, the first time that he, after he was drafted in 2012, uh, he pitched for Lowell, and they pitched, They played it. Um, they played it. Uh, uh, futures at Fenway, and the second or third pitch of the game a line drive came back and struck him right in the face, and he had multiple fractures in the face, and he was out until that, I mean, the middle of that next season or stuff. He was he was really hurt, and um, that was a huge mental uh, hurdle to get over, too, you know, going up, back out after that. Sure. And then he was also hit with a line drive um, at the beginning of this season. He didn't miss any starts. It was not... He did fall to the ground. It wasn't as bad. He got hit in that. I think it was the back of the head. Um, and he also, I think, was hit. But he was hit. Uh, this is this is crazy. He was hit by um, Mike Zanino, who, who caught him in, in Florida. Um, if you Google the video on on um, 
you know, you can find it on YouTube. But Mike Zanino caught him at the University of Florida and actually was thrown down to second base and hit him with a ball square in the face, I believe. Wow. Been hit, okay. Yeah, so he's been hit twice on line drives off bats and once by a catcher throwing at him. So um, <clears throat> he hasn't had really good luck. And then, you know, you look at that 2015 season where he would have had the opportunity to, and the, the Don says several young guys, Workman, Henry Owens, uh, Anthony Renato, after they traded off. Well, I, no, it wasn't 2015, it was 2014 after they traded off some you know, Lester and Lackey and, you know, even Felix DeBrandt. They had so many holes in their rotation. They were going to some young guys. He would have the opportunity that year. No, it was 2015. Um, he would have had the opportunity in the second half of that year, but he didn't get it because he, he had an elbow, uh, elbow irritation. Um, so he, there's been so many setbacks in his career. And all, even though he's 26, uh you know, he's still, you know, he's, he's like young 26 because all, you know, all that has happened to him and he's had to overcome all that. And, he, you know, that's why he hasn't gotten a shot until, he, you know, this, you know, until 26, really. You know, yeah, really. well, right, and now the opportunity is there for him, so hopefully uh, he can... Uh you know, take advantage of it and uh, pitch well over, you know, this next month or so and kind of help to uh, fill the gap. You brought up, uh, you briefly brought up uh, Bra uh, Brandon Workman there. Here's th That's somebody who I hope might get uh, a shot before the season's done. I mean, I know he's had a lot of, uh, you know, uh, injury issues the last couple of seasons, but I think some of us still remember him in that 2013 postseason uh, uh, being basically, uh, you know, the setup guy for Koji Uehara in the playoffs and, uh you know, he was pitching, you know, he's getting big outs then. So, I mean, I think he's yeah. capable of rising to the moment. You just hope that, you know, physically he's still got something left. You no, know, I think that physically um, it's, it's funny because his, well, it's not funny. Um, it's strange because his, like, you know, he, he, like, as I said with Carson Smith, he says velocity, he feels like his velocity's back. And, you know, Workman had that surgery two years ago, and his velocities never really came back that much. I mean, it's, it's that's really strange that you know his velocity hasn't come back, but you know his curveball's been getting him out in, in the minors, and so uh, you know, I mean, he's somebody that they like. He's a tough guy. He you know he he, he wants to pitch in those situations, and that's something, you know, you need to have type of guy, too. You know, so that helps you get through those. So you, it's not just about having talent. So, um, yeah, I look at him as somebody that can definitely help out the bullpen uh, going forward. And he's already been up a couple times, but, you know, he's definitely in that position right now where he's going to have to jump back and forth just because, you know, of his option. Yeah, right, and you know, so hopefully between him and Carson Smith, maybe you know, hopefully coming back, and you know, all you know, maybe that's where you know you help uh, fortify the bullpen for the uh, the second half of the season. Again, uh, this is the uh, TOST Toddcast. I I am Todd Blonairs, and very uh, happy to be joined by uh, Chris Smith of uh, MassLive.com, covers the Red Sox uh, on a uh, full time basis, and uh, you know, uh, we'd be remiss here, Chris, if we didn't talk a little bit about the uh, the Red Sox outfield, and of course, one of the keys, I think. 
think, you know, as far as uh, the Red Sox uh, staying with the Yankees or, or overtaking them in the division right now is to get the offense on a more consistent basis, get everybody going. It appears right now that the outfield as a whole may all be coming around offensively. Uh, Mookie Betts the other night picking up his 500th career hit. He seems to be coming around with the bat. Andrew Benintendi had a huge 9-for-73 slump prior to going deep twice yesterday at Camden Yards. And then, uh, as you had mentioned uh, in one of your uh, one of your uh, stories, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. in his last 19 games, all he's done is hit 302 with five homers, uh, 17 runs batted in, also 13 walks. I was impressed by that stat. Uh, seems like he's a bit more selective at the plate. And uh, we know that Jackie's someone capable of getting on a hot streak. Just talk about this outfield as a whole. And uh, do you think that maybe they can all kind of get it going at the same time here and, uh, you know, help to, uh, you know, kind of just, you know, be have a more consistent offensive attack to help back up that pitching staff. Yeah, I mean that's you needed um, some duplication of or close to certain guys duplicating their 2016 production with you know David Ortiz leaving this team, and you got what 26 home runs out of uh, I think it was 26 out of Jackie Bradley last year, and you got. Um, you know, 30-something out of Mookie. Now, I looked at Mookie's um, uh, projected numbers, well, what he's on pace for right now. He's still on pace for, like, 20-something home runs, and he's actually on pace for more doubles than he was last year. I think he's, like, some pace for, like, 48, and he had, like, 42 last year. So, you know, he's having a good year, and I don't worry about him. Uh, yeah, if Bradley gets hot, he is hot right now. He can be the best hitter in baseball. And Ben Attendee, I've been asked a lot of questions about him recently. Um, you know, we just got to think about it in terms of he's 22. And you look at, like, Aaron Judge. And it's his rookie season in the major leagues. Yeah, and you look at Aaron Judge last year when they called him up, and he struck out a billion times. And then this year, and he's 25. You know, he's, he's three years older than Andrew Ben Attendee. You know, he's, he's hitting the ball like crazy, obviously, for the Yankees. But he's 25, and last year he was striking crazy for them. So I, I wouldn't be too concerned about Andrew Benetton. He's a, you know, he's a, uh, he's got a lot of confidence in himself, and he was just pitched to. Uh, Which is why we forget he's 22 years old, because of the way he carries himself. And, you, and I know you probably see that up close. Yeah, and I don't. I don't think it was anything particularly that was going on that he needs to change his swing much. Uh, they, John Farrell and him talked about how he was just getting a lot of off-speed stuff. You know, too low in the count, or you know, certain counts that you wouldn't expect that for to be thrown to a 22-year-old. And you know that that happens. I mean, you know, the league adjusts to you, and then you need to adjust to the league. And that's happened. That that's that's going to happen, and when you bat them fourth in the lineup, the league's going to adjust to you a lot quicker, you know? I mean, he, you know, and that's what Kyle did. He put him fourth in the lineup, and, you know, I mean, they're going to, they want to figure him out, and they figured him out, and so now he's just going to make adjustments, and, you know, he obviously had a good game yesterday. I expect him to, uh, to still have a good year here. So, uh, yeah, those three guys are so important, uh, you know, producing some power, and um, their defense, especially Mookie Betts and Jackie Bradley, has been tremendous. They both have 10, 10 runs saved uh, in the outfield, which is more than anyone 
uh, in baseball. So they're so they've been tremendous and uh, defensively, and you know they just need to you know produce get to that level around that level that they did last year in terms of power. All right. Well, uh, as we kind of try to wrap this up, uh, Chris, one of the other uh, players I wanted to talk to you about here, and you had a nice uh, article on him uh, today on MassLive.com. Uh, again, a reminder, you can follow uh, Chris Smith uh, at Smitty on MLB as his Twitter handle. Uh, you mentioned you were talking about Christian Vasquez and uh, what a what a start he's gotten off to. I mean, here's a guy who the last few years we, we know what a really good defensive catcher he is, and now you know, the question was, could he ever hit? I mean, he's hitting 344 right now, and uh, he's just, uh, you know, he's, you know, his uh, stat you brought up here, he's hitting 345 uh, when he's got two strikes on him, which is just a you know, really incredible stat. And, you know, any catcher who can hit like that is, uh, you know, worth his weight in gold. But then, you you know, you take all the defense and the way he calls a game for his pitching staff. Uh, you know, this is this is incredible what we've seen on Vasquez. Uh, you know, just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the emergence of him as an all-around uh, catcher now. Yeah, I mean, I think that we we learned early this season that he was, he was the number one guy. Now, obviously, the number one guy on this team gets three starts as compared to two starts for, you know, for the other guys. Uh, one guy gets three pitches, the other guy gets two. But, you know, he is the catcher of the future for the Red Sox uh, over Blake Swire. And, um, you know, he, he's just such a good defensive catcher. He does have the six pass balls, which is crazy. And I brought this up in the story, but... You know, John Farrell John said that's not even a thing they're concerned about. It's just because he's trying to frame things, and you know he's just such a good receiver that they don't they don't care about that. And um, you know he's got such a good arm. But yes, the, the hitting's been good. And he's got such a. Uh, Farrell also brought up how his ability to hit with two strikes is just because of you know his inside out type swing and his ability to go to the opposite field. He's really learned what he needs to be as a hitter and and um, you know, he eliminated the leg kick when he went to Pawtucket last year and that was a big thing. He he went uh, he came back in September. You didn't really get to see much of him, but the the starts that he caught at Marta Rodriguez, he was really, you know, into it and doing a great job behind the plate. And then he went and played in Puerto Rico over the off season. And his stats during the Puerto Rico winter ball playoffs were unreal in terms of offense. And so, uh, yeah, I, I've always believed that, they, that this is a guy that can hit 250-260. Now I'm starting to believe he's a guy that can hit, you know, 270-285, you know. And I'm, I'm not saying he's going to continue to hit 340 here. Oh, no, yeah. That's asking a lot, but yeah, yeah, you would take, you would easily take two seventy, two eighty. The way again, the way he plays defense. Yeah, he's going to continue to be. Uh, he's going to continue to produce offensively, and um, yeah, I just like his all around game. I, I, I think that the hitting was, you know, I don't know, a knock on him early. He was known as a defensive catcher, and it was just. He needed to get his at bats, and in 2015, he sat out the whole year, and then 2016 came back after missing an entire year of development, and that affected his defensive game as well too. He wasn't he wasn't exactly great defensively last year at points, so uh, I think we're finally seeing the Christian Vasquez that 
you know, has that potential to be a, you know, as they like to say, a, a, a mini yachty, a mini yachty marina. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I, I, he's he's definitely an important player on this team right now. And as great as it is to to see uh, Christian Vasquez do this, and I just never expected he was going to hit like this, but it's you know it, it's just a it's a great uh, revelation there that all of a sudden he, he's kind of it's it's just all coming together for him. But you did bring it up at the beginning of your Vasquez discussion, and it kind of breaks my heart a little because I always kind of uh, was a Blake Swihart guy, and I was really hoping that he'd uh, find uh, a place here. But you're right. I mean, if Vasquez continues to hit like this, and we know he's a much superior defensive catcher to Swihart who's still kind of learning on the job. Uh, my question is, where would Swihart's future be? Because the Red Sox organization, organizationally, they made a point this year, you know, after they tried Swihart in the outfield last year to try to maybe find a place to get his bat in there. Now they're making him a full-time catcher again. But if Vasquez is playing this well, you know, certainly Swihart doesn't have a future here. Would this be considered Dombrowski's, like, last big trade chip? And again, it kind of break my heart. I'd hate to see him get dealt um, you know, but uh, it, it just appears that, you know, maybe he's, you know, maybe his time has run out here, sadly. Yeah, you know. He's kind of a forgotten guy all of a sudden. A couple of years ago, we were all kind of thinking he was going to be the future catcher of this team. Yeah, and at this point, though, I don't know how much of a trade chip he is because he's not hitting right now in Pawtucket, and that might have to do with, you know, he was on the DL for a while with a wrist injury, and he's come back, he's, He's hitting right around 200, and it's bizarre that he hasn't really hit at all. And so, um, you know, I, I do look at him as a guy that can hit, um, but, you know, he, he, there's been a question with his defense in terms of he's got a really good arm, but does he have the ability, the you know, the footwork, the, you know, the ability to pop up and all that and, and throw guys out, even though he has a great arm? And do that as a consistent, you know, 30, 35%, you know, caught stealing rate uh, in the majors, or is he going to be in the 20s like he was, you know, his first year or whatever it was? So potentially he's, you know, they look at him as, you know, the, the backup catcher and a guy that can, you know, maybe rotate around to different positions in the future. Uh, but Peter Gammons had brought it up in, in an article over the offseason that, you know, he, that Swihart could be the type that could play some third base and some left field and whatever they need him to do and still get some starts behind the plate. So maybe that, maybe Vasquez is the starting catcher going forward and, and, and Blake is the type that, you know, he can be a kind of a super utility guy. Uh, I don't know. And to me, you know what, Chris, uh, he really truly would be a super utility guy. I would give him that status over Brock Holt just because he could catch. Because to me, a super utility guy is a guy who you could stick in as a catcher and can also play anywhere else. Because that guy, yeah. he had so much versatility to your bench, which let's face it, I mean, most rosters only carry about three or four bench guys. So if you got a guy yeah. who can be the backup catcher and backup at a bunch of other positions... Wow. I mean, that's just, yeah. that is the definition of a super utility guy. So, I mean, his value probably isn't, is not at its max right now. So, it's not like you're going to trade him right now. So, hold on to him, see what he can do. I would agree with that because, again, I don't want to see him get dealt either. I was just throwing it out as a, as a question. But yeah. let, let's wrap this up, Chris. I got one more question. This is just something I was bringing up with my friends. I was talking about the. Uh, uh, basically, the uh, the the biggest uh, money hoovering uh, 
<laughs> a pair of Red Sox players, and it's interesting, uh, you know, both for the reasons that they tie up a lot of money on the team payroll and also maybe the what the, they kind of uh, reduce the flexibility you have on your roster. Uh, two guys I was thinking of, Hanley Ramirez, Pablo Sandoval, neither one of them hitting all that great. Uh, they, you know, Hanley just wants to be a DH. Pablo can barely play third base. Combined, they're taking up $40 million of the payroll, and they're under contract through the end of the 2019 season, so two more years beyond this one. But then I went down uh, to McCoy Stadium uh, a couple weeks ago and, uh, you know, uh, was reminded about Ruzne Castillo and Alan Craig, who, at least for this year, are taking up – they're getting paid $22 million to play for the Pawsox. Now, the only good news about that from a – from a, a Dombrowski perspective here is that uh, the, the Craig contract for $11 million comes off the books at the end of the season. But uh, w- what do you think is the bigger uh, uh, money-sucking duo? I said money-hoovering before, but this is a podcast. Let's call it money-sucking. Uh, which which duo is <laughs> sucking more money? I mean, really, I mean, I know 40 versus 22, but which is the worst here? I mean, is it are Castillo and Craig almost worse because they can't even get on the big league roster? Yeah, but you also have to think in terms of their their money isn't going towards the actual team payroll because they're off of the forty man roster. So in terms of Dombrowski, it's not like he doesn't even care about those guys like right now. You know what I mean? It's more it's more coming out of like John and Linda's vacation fund. Is that what you're, you're to tell me? The thing. It's, okay. <laughs> the person that has to think about them is is John Henry. Yeah. Linda Bazzuti. It's not it's right. Dombrowski. So he's, he's, those guys are killing the ownership in terms of money, but the other guys, they're killing, you know, in terms of payroll flexibility. Uh, so that's a difficult question because of that whole payroll thing. Like, you know, you can just have those guys stick in the minors, but I guess obviously, you know, you, I mean, Alan Craig has, like, one home run at Pawtucket, and Bruce May is just a ground ball machine. So I'd have to go with those, too. <laughs> okay, there you go. See, <laughs> I told you. that's I was kind of leaning that way myself because uh, you're, you're not getting anything out of them, and they don't have any trade value. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, last thoughts here. We're going to wrap this up, Chris. Uh, your thoughts on, on Red Sox-Yankees this week. What do you see uh, coming up at the stadium? Uh, the You know, we're going to have Pomerantz, uh, Porcello, and Price pitching for the Red Sox. Uh, Tanaka, who has been kind of up and down. Sabathia, who's all of a sudden come on for them. And uh, Michael Pineda has been pretty solid all year. But the Red Sox missed Severino, uh, which is probably a plus for them. What do you what do you like this week? And uh, do you think, uh, you know, do you like what you're seeing out of the team as a whole right now? Yeah, no, I do like what I'm seeing. I think the team's finally coming together. Um, where you know, they're getting people back. You know, as I said, Tarzan Smith will throw the you know throw the first BP session, so you know, he could potentially be back. And we you see obviously that David Price is back, so the team's coming together in terms of getting some people back and getting healthier. Um, but this week, uh, you know, it's funny Tanaka has not been good. He's got the ERA in the sixes and he had the ERA in the eights in May, but. I don't know if you remember this, but on April 27th, he pitched a complete game shutout against the Red Sox. And two starts ago, so even in May, when he had eight points up in the ERA, he pitched like seven and two thirds, one one run, and struck out 13 against the Oakland A's. So he has the potential to be good, you know, obviously. 
uh, he has the potential to have a really dominant start. So that should be an interesting matchup uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, him and Pomerantz. Uh, Pomerantz um, has been very good over his last two starts. Has a very good strikeout rate this year. It was like 11, 11.1 or 11.2 strikeouts per nine innings. So he's been interesting. Another thing to watch is uh, you know Price's third start. Um, you know it should be interesting. He got pretty uh, <laughs> hit pretty hard against the Yankees last year. That was the team that really did a lot of damage to him. I think he had an ERA against him in uh, sixes and an ERA at, at Yankee Stadium in three starts in the eighth last year. So uh, that's that's going to be a challenge for him. Uh, the, the Yankees' offense is obviously really good. They're second in the league in runs. Uh, you know, home runs, are, I think they're fourth. Um, they're right there in slugging percentage second. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be a, a good week, a fun week. But... Um, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past the Red Sox to get a sweep there and end up in first place. Or I wouldn't, you know, put it past the Yankees to sweep the Red Sox. So we'll see. Yeah, no, it's going to be fun. Uh, Red Sox-Yankees, uh, the rivalry uh, back anyway, at least meaningful games for both teams. I guess that's all you can really ask for. So uh, uh, Chris Smith, again, thank you very much for joining us. You can uh, check out his work on uh, MassLive.com and your Twitter handle, at uh, Smitty. Uh, what is it? Oh, I just had it here. What? At Smitty on MLB. On MLB. I was going to say at, but there can't be two ats there. Uh, at Smitty on MLB. Uh, yeah, great. Uh, check it out. I know you link all your stories there. And, uh, you know, we thank you for, for joining us here on the TOST Toddcast. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. And, again, uh, just a couple of uh, reminders here uh, that you can access uh, – any of our uh, TOST podcasts online at belmontmedia.org slash podcast and also at soundcloud.com by searching Belmont Media. You can also listen to any of our shows at your convenience on your favorite electronic device simply by downloading the SoundCloud app, which is available free of charge on iTunes and Google Play stores. And if you'd like updates when the latest TOST podcast is available for your listening pleasure, just follow us on social media. You can become a Facebook fan by searching Time Out for Sports Talk and, of course, our Twitter handle, at TOST BMC. This one will be uploaded pretty quick, so uh, you will get to, uh, to hear it when you desire. And until next time, this is Todd Bloodingers. Thank you for checking out the TOST podcast on the Belmont Media Podcast Network.